Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Lies in the future, lies in the past, lies in the present, lies in the uh, pages of a Mark Wade comic. The Marvel Universe has never been so perfectly linearly laid out for fans to try and understand the bigger picture of the multiverse. Whether it's the beginning of time or the possible futures, the history of the Marvel Universe by Mark Wade and Javier Rodriguez traces a path across the cosmos that leads ultimately to here and us. That makes this We Are Krakoa. I'm Nico. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. I'm Regina. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive this experience, unlike Galactus, who is basically just saying, Mr. Richards, I don't feel so good. Oh. And, you know, like, uh, a lot of stuff didn't really survive the 90s, so, like, you know, uh, and it's so interesting because I'd never believed that this book was going to be able to cover everything it covered in the order it covered it so cleanly, and, you know, speaking of Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good, there's kind of no better place to pick things up than right at the Infinity. War page in issue four. You know, we'd covered everything up through that gorgeous X-Force splash where, I don't know, like Cannonball's face kind of looks a little bit like Wario's if you're looking at it from a distance. His mouth kind of forms the mustache. It's all very there. But <laughs> that Infinity War page is so relevant in a post-Endgame universe. And, you know, we're so 1989 right here. We're so 1990. It's really fascinating how much of the Marvel Universe that, like, we recognize as like the biggies of the Marvel Universe, whether it's Ghost Rider, the New Warriors, Inferno, Excalibur, the Infinity War, Deadpool, the Infinity Gems, Strife, and the kind of like era of the X-Men crossover. This... And maybe it's just that I was born in 1986, so this is what imprinted on me. But, you know, these these couple of pages that finish out issue four has my heart all a Twitter. Guys, this is the era of the crossover. So whether it's Inferno, the start of X-Force, Infinity War, or Executioner's Song, what did you guys think about the interconnected network of books interconnecting and networking throughout the pages of this issue? I don't think I realized just how intertwined everything actually was when you look at it on the grander scale of things. I was aware that the X-Books, they tended to cross over fairly frequently, but seeing all these other groups working together throughout these other crossovers was kind of eye-opening for me. Regina, I feel like this is one of those places in canon that, like, You've mentioned that you have a cultural understanding of, but maybe not like the deepest detail work. Was it helpful seeing it all laid out or was it stuff like, oh, suddenly the Shi'ar and the Kree had a fucking war that you're like, why? No! <laughs> I totally missed the Shi'ar-Kree war. So I was like, wait, 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 what's happened? <laughs> 
And evidently there was a bomb that killed 98% of the Kree. And I'm like, I should know that. Right. I I had to go back and kind of look in the annotations and read a little bit more. I started Googling like crazy. <laughs> I am going to actually go back. One of my plans is to go back and read more about that. Because I had no idea that the Shi'ar and the Kree were even adjacent. I don't think I've ever even read a comic with the Shi'ar and another prominent alien race within the Marvel Universe other than what they normally do with the X-Men. So this specifically was, that was kind of eye-opening for me. And then we kind of skip over to the page with Spider-Man and the wedding of Cyclops and Jean Grey and my heart just melted. Oh my god, right? So it's like all of this X-Men stuff and they just sort of like kind of sandwich some Spidey stuff on either side of it. (laughs) Jonah, there's Maximum Carnage, which you know, I don't know if you know, it's so hard to explain to people what comic books used to be like in terms of the cultural perception. You maybe watched the animated series, but you probably weren't like a big comic person. And if you were, you got Wizard and you went to a comic shop. And when something penetrated the cultural vernacular of fictional understanding, like the way Maximum Carnage did, I'm telling you, like this is not a joke. If you went to JCPenney, you could buy the Maximum Carnage Sega Genesis game. This was such a big deal at this time that Spider-Man ultimately getting the first real superhero movie and I'm using real superhero movie with some really big gesticulation like I'm like I'm kind of moving my arms like I care about what Christopher Nolan thinks about movies so you know seeing that Spider-Man went from the guy to kind of like oh fuck I just noticed for the first time that there's a little daredevil in his little shitty armor costume on the clone saga page oh look at him he's so little (laughs) oh he's so cute I mean he's strangely looking at Mary Jane's chin like it's a sexual thing but I didn't notice him I thought he was a gargoyle okay sorry about that so Jonah (laughs) Spider-Man footnote talk to me well, before we even talk about that, I would like to talk about my the, one of my loves of my life, Felicia Hardy, being on this page. I'm actually really surprised that she didn't get a little blurb of, like, Felicia Hardy tortured Spider-Man at his heart for, like, ever. She's here now, so I'm happy, and she's just kind of, like, kicking this mutant Spidey. Not, like, an actual, like, mutant mutant, but, like, this mutant. Man-Spider. What? Man-Spider. Man-spider. That's Man-Spider. I don't care for it. <laughs> Anyway. No, no, no. <laughs> Man Spider is my favorite thing because Man Spider ties into this history of sitcoms making jokes at the expense of people not understanding fandom that secretly feed back into fandom. There's that episode of Community where somebody's like, Britta, who's your favorite X-Man? And she's like, X-Man. And I'm like, okay, you think that's bullshit, no, but, but it's actually actual... really funny. Yes, yeah, so X-Man another... kicks ass, right? And there's that episode of Sunny where Frank goes as Man Spider. And ironically, he winds up looking like... Like if Man Spider had a symbiote, and I'm like, yes. (laughs) And yes, I do love that Felicia is just sort of generously kicking Man Spider, who has an awful number of. I I guess there's no other way to call them, but Rob Liefeld fingers. Yeah, Carnage is interesting. I knew who Carnage was growing up when it came to Spider. When I was younger, and there were Spider-Man toys and Spider-Man gear, and probably biggest superheroes. If you weren't into, if you didn't have parents who showed you the comics or the TV shows, were probably Batman, Spider-Man, and Hulk because that was a lot of the merchandise that was easier to make. And like, who doesn't want to be big and strong like the Hulk or like Spider-Man with a web shooter or Batman with his multiple arsenal stuff that you want to throw at people because you know kids love hurting each other. 
And every kid dreams of growing up to look like Michael Keaton. With When it comes to Spider-Man toys and Spider-Man merchandise and stuff, I knew who Carnage was. I didn't understand exactly who Carnage was. I just knew him by name and knew him by sight. It looks like Red Venom. And I was like, oh, he has an actual different name. Okay. I didn't really care for it. <laughs> and now he's here. And he actually is kind of just like a Red Venom. Yeah. The greatest quote of all time about Venom was written by a guy who uh, directed a series of videos called Floating Hand Studios. And he once described Venom as a product of the 90s. His entire concept is based on looking scary to which sebastian shaw replied you look like a hemophiliac's attempt at forming a scab that sounds about right (laughs) guys that is gold carnage looks like a hemophiliac's attempt at forming a scab that is gold okay that is worth its weight in symbiote So here's the thing, Dylan, I love that. I mean, you must think this run of X shit is amazing. Like it's like X-Force and then some page of cosmic stuff. And then it's like Executioner song. And then it's like some Spider-Man, but with some X-Men on. Then it's a little bit more Spider-Man. Then it's like all the X-Men your little brain can handle. Not your little brain. Like your brain is excellent and large. I mean, like, you know, your little brain, like the colloquial (laughs) little brain. But... What must have hurt your very big brain was the telekinetic cake cutting on the gene page. Yeah, I mean... That is that is telekinetic cake cutting, my friend. Yes, that is telekinetic cake cutting. Like you said, I was freaking out. There's tons of X-Men right here. And I mean, the X-Men were, were huge in the 90s. So I'm glad that they had all of this, even if they had to throw in that stupid wedding that Regina is so happy about. But I really want to talk about the part where we get to see the most perfect team ever. And you know what? Like, that page got so much reaction from me for a million reasons. I found myself really angry that Legion Quest was on the bottom. Like, Legion Quest comes before Age of Apocalypse. And not that that's any reason to feel any kind of way, but I do. (laughs) However, okay, so one of the things I love the most about this book is how many of these pages have been these fluid images? When you take a look at the Gen X page, that's like Emma's face going into Apocalypse's face going into the end of that portal. But I want to point out that that makes it look like Emma's got a face coming out of the side of her face. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And like, I I genuinely, 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 genuinely will never stop loving how much of Generation X is either exploding or like slucking forward. (laughs) And I'm using sluck as as a verb referring to the character from X-Force Ecstatics whose powers are he has face tentacles that he can shot people with. So it kind of looks like all of the members, I think even Jubilee is like, I'm falling! <laughs> and, you know, she looks like she's gonna catch herself on Emma's lips. I I think this page is so styled and so cool, and I loved it so much. But when you really start to think about it, this is a lot of people hiding near lips. <laughs> um, I... I, I... <laughs> I really liked it because of them giving Generation X a spotlight in this history of the Marvel Universe. I feel like mainly a lot of X-Men fans know that Generation X happened, but I feel like if you were just a Marvel fan that wasn't too much into X-Men stuff, you may not have even knew that Generation X happened. Like, if you were a dead set Avengers Spider-Man fan, you would know a lot about the X-Men because of crossovers, but you really wouldn't know that much about Generation X because Generation X actually started at about the time that, like, all the major, like, X crossovers kind of really ended. Like, Generation X was never really in 
a crossover, except for like they were a part of the Phalanx Covenant, and that was before Generation X started. And I really like this image too because of Emma turning into Apocalypse and that little part at the bottom, which makes no sense. I feel like it's really awesome because it kind of looks like Emma and Apocalypse form the shape of Xavier's head. So I really like that. Oh, um, and you know, speaking of heads, when I looked at this image the first time, I was like, wow, Jubilee looks kind of weird. Oh, that's Monet. Okay. Oh, there's Jubilee. Wow. They're really leaning into that era where she sort of looked like a Rosie O'Donnell 1996 era lesbian. Oh, that's Mondo. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Who's, who's, oh, Amadeus Cho is, oh, that's Jubilee. Fat. I had a little trouble with that part of the image, but... <laughs> If I were calling anyone anything, I would point out that skin looks an uncomfortable amount like gateway. <laughs> I kind of don't like the fact that penance is not a part of this picture. Like You know, and like, I, I agree because I kept thinking that skin's fingers were penance. Um, but can we talk about how in still, again, like we said in the last episode, that there wasn't very much shadow cat except cat for like bear. a shadow here. Or a tiny little image of her being a part of... Yeah. <laughs> Shut up! I was about to say, cat there! <laughs> or a tiny little no! image of her in Excalibur. But when it gets to Age of Apocalypse, we get to see, like, a full-on best version of Kitty ever. So I'm excited about that. Oh, oh my god, I just realized those legs are wild childs. I was like, why are there just legs in Kitty's face? Eh, show feet. Uh, I don't remember who it was. I think, was it Dylan? Did you point out that the rain looked kind of Sienkiewicz in yes. the last issue? Because I think the David looks so Sienkiewicz down there. Yeah, that, that, that Legion photo? Yes. So, you know, it's really funny because we keep talking about how the X-Men, the X-Men, the X-Men, and when you turn the page, there's like kind of technically not really a lot of X-Men on the next page. I mean, there's like weird, I almost said mutant, but ironically, that's the one thing he's not here. There's like weird feral Wolverine and there's like a Cyclops and a, a Gambit in the corner, but the representation of Onslaught kind of boiling down to Franklin Richards as a baby, really, really beautiful, really clever. And it gets me so excited to kind of get back to the heart of the book. And then when you turn the page and you see the cover of the next issue is like oh x-men plus wait electro and i'm like why what and then i'm looking at wolverine's claws and for like half a second i don't realize that his claws are like you know just like spark i'm like does wolverine did wolverine's claws get wolverine hair <laughs> what and then i'm like what the hell costume is that of jeans because if gene ever had a black and gold costume i would cosplay that shit and i'm like magneto looks kind of crazy and evil here but like the magneto crazy evil era is the stuff kind of like before age of apocalypse i find myself not like confused by the end of issue four but there's some timeline stuff at the end of four that just more than anything has me excited to start five You know, as we make the rollover, kind of from the era of crossover comics to the era of big, weird, widescreen comics. Kyle, this is kind of the era where I know you you dropped out a bit, but it's an era that we're entering that gets referenced a lot. The, just before Grant Morrison's new X-Men, there was a run on Avengers by a guy named Kurt Busiek, who had created Astro City and was a very big deal creator at time. And, you know, were you surprised at the lack of focus anywhere but the X-Men in this era? 
era or did it make sense to you that by the mid 90s you know the x-men ran the fucking show honestly i'm not really sure it does seem like the x-men had a kind of stability in the marvel universe whereas everything else seems like they're trying something new trying to bring something different to what has already existed and trying to find a new way of interpreting things so you know trying something new to do something different is kind of like the heart of the first story page in issue five and it's kind of funny because like i'm a huge thunderbolts fan i'm a big big thunderbolts fan from way way back and regina it's kind of weird to me that we've never talked about songbird i would feel like songbird screaming mimi would be someone who visually and like her journey would really resonate with you so it's like shocking to me we've never discussed her or the thunderbolts were you aware of the team of villains who became good guys to deal justice like lightning i i have vaguely come across different references to them but i don't think i've ever actually read anything they were really in and i know a lot of people in the fandom really love songbird i've heard such good things about her i don't think i've ever read anything with her in it i super recommend either the run by warren ellis that turns them into the dark avengers eventually or i would recommend the run by charles sewell which includes electra and punisher banging and that's pretty hot that is pretty hot Now, Dylan, this image, this distorted, shattered mirror, for me, I mean, like, I'm not trying to focus too much on my favorite, like, team or anything, but, like, if I had, like, a backup X-Men, I guess for a lot of people it's the Inhumans, but for me it's, like, really classic Thunderbolts. There's something about duality of this character presentation, and kind of, like, it is the C-listiest team of superheroes ever. It totally is. I really love this image. I read Thunderbolts when it first came out. I honestly can't remember the writers of which ones I I read, but I read all the way through Jolt joining the team and I think Charcoal, which was like a fan favorite created character that I think somebody, you entered a contest if you were reading Thunderbolts and fans got to write in and create a character and Marvel would pick a winner and Marvel picked a winner and this kid's character named Charcoal became a character in the books and joined the team. So yeah, I really like the Thunderbolts too. And, you know, I'm going to tie the Thunderbolts into the X-Men for a second in kind of a silly way, but the Thunderbolts secretly feature the first ever dupe appearance by accident. For a while, there had been style guides at Marvel that would instruct you on how to draw each character so that they would have a consistent look. Ecstatics was in the works for a while before it started to come out, so the Ecstatics characters were in the style guide for a considerable amount of time before the issues hit the stand. This led Patrick Zercher to use them as background material for a giant multi-character splash page in Thunderbolts 57, having the entire team debut four months before their first appearance, but some characters as much as a year in advance. It'd be impossible to talk about the early 2000s and the X-Men without talking about Grant Morrison's new X-Men. And oh my god, so Jonah, I kind of lured you into modern comics with Grant Morrison's new X-Men, and I, I really feel like this tribute page to new x-men is so beautiful it looks so quietly and yet there's something so dynamically polished about it we have references to the silent issue we have emma frost ripping the helmet off cassandra nova's head the giant badass sentinels beast looking cute logan looking sexy 
my precious Zorn helmet, Cassandra Nova trying to chew off her own tongue, which I don't know, works for me, all things considered. How did you feel, Jonah, about getting this full page representation of new X-Men, this core element of not just the X-Men mythos, but the Marvel mythos summarized so succinctly on a single page? Here's the thing. What makes me love this so much more, if you look at the very bottom right corner, you see Martha. And that's all that matters. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, Cassandra Nova never looked better. Uh, I was really happy seeing this page, not because I am a fan of the run of X-Men and that it was something that I really enjoyed and it was like, yay, it got noticed. But it's more like that comic run had so many, like, and I say this showing my age, iconic things that were like, like, really big, I feel, for the X-Men, whether it's the Massacre of Genosha, whether it's the Zorn reveal, whether it's, like, you know, Xavier going public. There were so many great things there that I really am, like, happy and proud that this page got its due justice with this amazing art and some amazing other characters like My Precious Beak or Basilisk or that one guy who was made out of gas and then they just let him die. That did actually happen. There was a mutant made out of gas and he was in like this gas suit and then like his suit got punctured and i think it was uh right at the mansion and then nobody found him guys i know that new x-men is definitely a work that we all don't agree on i think of it in many ways as like prior to house of x and powers of 10 i thought of it in many ways as like the x-men bible like really truly a work you could refer to in conjunction with the greatest works of claremont to understand the x-men both myopically and macrocosmically. I know that, like I said, we all really had different opinions on this story, but how did you guys feel about the full-page depiction of New X? I think it's really well done, and it manages to hit most of the really important storylines from that run. The only one that I'm really not seeing is stuff including Quentin. It's fine, we don't need that. Oh my... <laughs> I was about to say my poor precious baby boy, and then here comes Dylan being like, no, thank you. I don't like him. Meow. <laughs> don't call him a precious baby boy. He is a baby and he is a boy, but he is nowhere near precious. He is. I mean, this is probably the one of the very few times that I will be happy to see Beak over Quentin. So I'm glad that Beak made it in here and not Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> Yuck. They even included one of the babies. I was like, oh, look at baby Peek. (laughs) And I see there's like a dragon person flying up ahead. So I'll just pretend that one's (laughs) Tito. I like the page overall. I do kind of feel that the importance of Zorn was maybe a little over-exaggerated. Like that head could have been smaller. (laughs) Because ultimately, I feel like that storyline kind of just fizzled out. It didn't have any particularly long-lasting repercussions I can think of. But overall, I thought the page was very beautiful. I I liked the way that it was set up. And the, the dynamism within the characters and what they're doing and what it evokes for that specific period. I really like that. And, you know, speaking of a specific time period, it's so important to understand that we're about to enter an age of comics unlike any other comic age. We're about to enter the age of stand-up comic comics. And I use that term lovingly and kind of maybe a little bit insultingly. There's a really cutting joke in an episode of Difficult People that basically assassinates the idea of comedy as nothing but a series of endless pop culture references. And I do not personally believe that there is no validity to comedy as pop culture references 
years. I mean, take a look at the success of Family Guy, which is nothing but an endless series of cutaway gags interspersed with some first-person narration stand-up. And it's, for what it is, it's been epic. Whether or not you love Brian Michael Bendis, he definitely is a setup-and-punchline kind of guy. And everything in this era became setup-punchline or meta-humor. Alias was both meta-humor and stand-up punchline. If you take a look, the entire page is decked out with my beautiful ecstatics characters, whether it's Anarchist, Fat, Dupe, Edie, Dead Girl, my beautiful dead girl. And next to them are The Runaway, which is yet another kind of like punchline setup meets meta humor. And when you go further, you get more and more of that. You enter the age of Disassembled and House of M, Planet X. The whole world begins churning at a pace that I can only refer to as... Driven solo voce, and it really does become, and I don't mean this insultingly per se, but it really becomes Joe Casada's Marvel Universe. The Marvel Universe begins to function like a television net with interchangeable parts. They moved all of their biggest properties over to the Avengers so that the Avengers could become something more than it had been. The X-Men might have dominated the last issue and had the cover of this one, but we're about to move to an era where whether or not this book reflects it, the X-Men began to be treated like an unwanted child that couldn't be dealt with. I think that's reflected in the X-Men's very sudden disappearance, save for one snickety motherfucker, from most pages for about half of this issue. We get the role of Civil War, World War Hulk, Secret Invasion, and I wind up kind of lost in the blockbusterification of storytelling in the Marvel Universe. I stop being able to determine what a story is by the characters in it, but rather by the era it created. I know a lot of us came and went from comics in this time. We're looking back at how encapsulated this era is. The era of crossovers and the way it overtook the Marvel Universe. How do you guys feel seeing it so succinctly put in eight pages? I think it was done pretty well because, I I mean, that is what happened in comics. The X-Men kind of disappeared for quite some time after the events of M-Day with Scarlet Witch. And, I mean, if someone is just starting to read Marvel comics and they wanted to read these to give them kind of a a head start. I feel like with the beginning of this issue, the and most of the entire last issue, they would definitely get the hint of all the X-Men, like, (laughs) like they would notice distinctly that the X-Men had disappeared for most of this issue. And that's how it was for all of us fans that were reading. So I think it was put together pretty well. Kyle, I know you and I have discussed Civil War here and there, and you're somebody who's mentioned to me the eras of Marvel and what happened concurrently can get kind of confusing for you. Seeing it laid out, how did that affect your understanding of the Marvel Universe? Well, I guess you could say that it kind of gave a little more clarity to me, but at the same time, there were all of these events that I really wasn't aware of at all. And while it gave me some clarity in some regards, it does muddy the water at the same time. So, I don't know. It kind of helped, but didn't. There was so much going on outside of the world of the X-Men in the greater Marvel Universe, and it when you read it in this compressed fashion, it reads very fast. I think it did help clarify a lot of things for me that I wasn't aware of, like the whole, you know, I had read about, you know, Hydra Cap, and I didn't really understand what the heck that was about, and how did we get Cap back? So this sequence helped me figure that out much better. I think, of course, you would have to actually 
read the comics to get the full the full effect of what was going on specifically for that period. But I think that the emphasis it has on bringing some of the newer characters forward, you know, it talks about Sam Wilson and how we got the Winter Soldier and what his role was. I really appreciated that. And I think that especially now with what Disney's going to be doing with the Marvel Universe and their continuity, it kind of touches on these same things. So for a casual movie fan, if they read this, I think they would get a better idea of how things work in the comics and how it's going to relate in the future to how we're going to see Sam and the Winter Soldier, Bucky, uh, portrayed in the future. I thought that was kind of interesting. I was surprised that I didn't know that the Phalanx and the Kree uh, had a battle. (laughs) I typically think of the Phalanx as as an X-Men villain and to have that kind of highlighted here, I was like, oh wow. So when you don't read the other Marvel books, you do miss things like that where you've got your other villains that, you know, you're you're typically thinking, oh, this is an X-Men villain. And they still play that larger role within the Marvel Universe. I thought that was really something good to highlight for people like me who maybe don't read the other Marvel books. I had read about the Imposter Scrolls, so this did help me a bit. I still have to go back and read that, though, because it still seems a bit confusing. <laughs> you know, I super love Secret Invasion. I feel like time has been mostly pretty kind to it. Dylan, were you reading around Secret Invasion? I read things here and there, basically just because there was X-Men tie-ins. So yeah, that, that was about it for me. You know, that was around the height of my Avengers love, and I really sunk my teeth into the Dark Reign era. It was a really great time to love the Avengers because, you know, the X-Men just had a real dearth of material for a really long time. Though issue five does highlight some of the best moments toward the end of the X-Men sort of era. And we get that gorgeous cable page. We see the return of the Purifiers, that super stunning X-Men legacy era rogue with Gambit. And, you know, after the beautiful introduction of Captain Marvel, there's that AVX page, which is the most, yeah, you know, I don't love AVX, and I feel like this page is everything there is to love about AVX. It cuts all the bad stuff, and oh yeah, and then the original facts. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, if I could go back for a moment and wax on that beautiful Gambit and Rogue panel. <laughs> when I saw that, the fangirl in me just screamed, and I keep going back to look at it because I think it perfectly encapsulates everything about their relationship. You know, they kept going, you know, you gotta have the drama in there. But they always come back to that one pose where they're facing each other, and she's looking up at him, and she just has this look in her face. And I just was like, oh my god. <laughs> the romance is truly palpable in that image, like a thousand percent i completely see it that daddy cable oh my god (laughs) the little bit of scruff that gambit has on in that image i don't normally like gambit but yeah i really like that (laughs) it does work yeah it's a good look for him you're right is iron fist cosplaying as phoenix (laughs) no he had a white iron fist costume for about um six years seven years okay uh the phoenix iron fist so the phoenix and iron fist during avx were made linked entities and at some point they have both been red and gold green and gold white and gold i see that sounds confusing I really love the Spider Queen page. I don't know a lot about the spiders, but uh, Julia Carpenter and Jessica Drew are two of my favorite spider characters. So then you got in this panel, you get to see like Anya and some of the, you know, the other spiders that maybe aren't as popular. And so I just, I just had a little rush of joy when I saw this page. And there's Agent Venom. I do love Agent Venom. He's a weapons project. So something I find very interesting is that Secret Invasion has only one page, kind of two talking about 
Iron Patriot and Norman. But I have here I have heard so many things about Secret Invasion that I'm surprised that it's only one page because it did a lot of damage in universe. Like there was a lot of shit that went on, and there was a lot of stuff that they were like, "Lala Scroll did that," and it's just like I feel like more than one page was kind of necessary for that. Well, and I want to kind of take a step back and say, in a really weird way, Secret Invasion is a tapestry, and it sort of plays out throughout the entire issue. Secret Invasion was only made possible because of the reemergence of Bucky, the possibility that entered people's minds that, okay, maybe people can come back. Planet Hulk and World War Hulk kind of put in perspective that what heroes are is questionable. Civil War broke the universe in a way that, you know, Steve Rogers is a moral compass and Bucky is a soldier. They're very different. And when you get to Secret Invasion, that fallout, the dark reign in which Norman Osborn is in charge of the Marvel Universe, it really is a truly scary time to be in the Marvel Universe. And the return of Avengers Prime, the siege, and the fall of Norman... That really is part of Secret Invasion in so many ways, because Secret Invasion rests almost exclusively on the back of Sentry, providing everything Norman Osborn needs in the Fallout. So, like, I know it sounds dumb, but, like, it's a tapestry. Maybe someone should have rewoven it. No one cares about my tapestry. (laughs) It has been so phenomenal looking back with you and looking forward as well. And guys, until we come back to take a look at even more X-Men than we've looked at before, Kyle, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that Regina helps me moderate called The House of X. Or you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at The Red Queen of X. And you can find me on Facebook at The House of Goblin Queen. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me putting on the helm of Galactus and making my own multiverse, the Jonahverse. Or you can just find me, you know, bouncing around online on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? Guys, as always, it is such a pleasure to be a part of this show as well as the other shows on the Cage Club Network I get to claim home to. Whether it's this show on Mondays where we take a look at modern X-Men in the form of We Are Krakoa or Throwback Thursdays where we take a look at 80s mutant mania, we celebrate the X-Men from all avenues. We're doing two major events in the next couple of months. There's, of course, this crossing over the ideas of 80s mutant mania, taking a look at the history of X-Men with our modern team. From this there, be bringing the We Are Krakoa team back a little bit further into the Secret Wars for a 10-part Secret Wars investigation unlike anything you've ever seen. It's going to be the Secret Wars 1 through 12 from 1984 and a Spider-Man miniseries that kind of came years later to fill in the blanks. We're also going to be taking a look at a Deadpool miniseries that attempts to fix some major character problems and they're bad. They're real bad. So whether you like modern comics or classic comics, X is for Podcast has something for you twice a week. Also, don't forget to check out HTML, which I do with Kevo, my amazing husband, where we are currently taking a look at the Clone Wars. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And don't forget to check out the website for this amazing show over at WeAreKrakoa.com. And guys, until we return, keep those mutant lights burning bright.